and Learn podcast, hosted by Yulia and Ina, friends, colleagues, passionate teachers and learners. In this series of cozy talks with a cup of tea or coffee, we talk about how we live and learn, move countries, adapt to change and mentalities, encourage and teach. While polishing our own understanding of learnability, we find support in the four pillars of live and learn philosophy, which include growth mindset, expert life, language acquisition, and skills development. Join us. Enjoy, live and learn. Happy to see you. What a lovely thing to say this after actually seeing you in person for so many months. I'm so happy to see you in person. I'm so happy to see your smile, to see you a 3D person. And now, luckily, we can see each other 3D, 4D, 5D and uh, enjoy the company of each other because uh, of the uh, situation which is getting better and uh, we'll see if it is still good enough uh, when this episode is on air and uh, it's all about uh, well the changes positive changes changes for better that we hope will be with us and still ready for change anytime that's uh, what we discuss and live and learn uh, every time i think and uh, it's also applicable to everyday activities situations etc okay so life is uh, going on there are some changes and we need to adapt anyway embracing changes uh, the hottest topic in the business world and uh, so many webinars are there so many topics disciplines transformation, change, change management. This is absolutely the agenda in the um, around me. And um, I don't know, tell me what's changed for you? What's, what's your most recent change? I would say uh, my most recent uh, challenge as well as change, as well as um, a result, I don't know. I've uh, taken a German uh, exam to certify me as a C1 uh, German user. An advanced level is something much, much different from all the previous um, levels in terms of uh, what quality of language acquisition it gives and it is. We could uh, talk more about what it means to have an advanced level in a foreign language or in a second language. Yeah, and uh, how it feels from inside as a user of a language at an advanced level. Let me congratulate you on air on getting this point in your learning journey, on reaching the milestone, reaching this goal, this target. So I think we can talk about uh, how does it feel, but also what does it take and... Um, Yeah, I I do really agree that reaching the C level is something completely different. So like A level, we have A1, A2, and they fail like one bigger uh, milestone, right? Like one bigger achievement. And then to go from A2 to B, 
B1, B2, right? Takes a lot of quantum, you know, leap. But, but also to reach B2 and move to C level, this is another quantum leap, leap to the advanced and proficiency levels. I can say that about uh, the English language and uh, I'm all ears to hear what did it take you to make this quantum, quantum leap to the advanced level of German? I would even say that um, it um, hasn't always been uh, a target, as you said, yeah, because I've never thought of achieving C1 in German as the aim to go when I'm learning pass. But somehow it happens that in any language and every language that I learn, uh, step by step, I tend to arrive uh, at advanced levels, uh, maybe because I'm uh, pedantic enough to do all the steps on the path uh, as well, maybe because uh, on the way I get more and more curious about how the language works, because anyway, it's my hobby as well as profession. And then it takes me to intermediate and then even uh, advanced levels. Uh, I wouldn't even um, boast about that, uh, but just say, well, this is what I love doing. So what does it take? It takes interest, curiosity, effort, uh, routines, uh, consistency, passion, everything that there is uh, in uh, all the things that we do because we love doing this stuff. I would never achieve a high level in something that I'm not so interested in or not so passionate about. Honestly, if uh, someone told me, okay, now wouldn't, why wouldn't you take an exam in whatever subject I'm not interested in? The first question would be, why would I? I don't want to. I'm not interested in that stuff. Why would I? Yeah, that's also about uh, having a degree when uh, parents insist on their kids uh, going to university after school because you should have that degree. And if a person is not interested, it would be just boring as uh, a learning path. Yeah, so for me, it's rather, what does it take? It takes passion, interest, and all the things that we've mentioned. We, we could have finished already all the podcast with this formulation because you have all the, the, the perfect tip or the perfect uh, advice or recommendation from a person who have already achieved a couple of the languages to the advanced level. So uh, maybe we have uh, some new listeners to our podcast. Could you maybe give a context of your uh, linguistic or language, more, more, more or less language exposure? English was my first foreign language that I took as a university course as well. Well, starting at school as everybody does, but then uh, having chosen it as a specialty, uh, as a university course and a degree. So it was English language and literature as my uh, first degree at university back in Ukraine. Then Italian is a second language that uh, I was studying at university in Italy, which uh, also took me all the way uh, along uh, from A1, no, A0, to C2 and uh, the uh, course of, well, a degree, a diploma of um, Alta Formazione per Docenti, which allowed me to teach Italian uh, as a foreign language and as a second language uh, to foreign students. And uh, now it's German, 
that I started at uh, A1 and uh, took all the courses, having skipped A2 as usual. And that's a problem. We discussed it in one of our previous episodes. Please get back and listen. Then uh, I took B1 and B2 last year in Germany, and now it's C1 that I also took as a language course. Uh, so can, can I ask a little uh, specific question here? So you started from A0 Italian and you went to C1 plus and over, but do you remember how many, I don't know, semesters, months, hours, years did it take? And uh, whether or not it is comparable at all with German? It can be comparable, but not exactly, because with Italian, I took uh, A1, which was an intensive course uh, a month long. I came back to Ukraine after achieving A1 and uh, was studying like self-learning for a year until I could get back to Italy. And when I took the entrance exam, uh, it said B1. Okay, so I kind of skipped A2, but not exactly because I was learning at home. Then I took B1. Uh, It was also a one-month intensive course. A year later, I came back, uh, took an entrance test again, and it turned out I could skip B2 because the entrance test, uh, like the placement test, uh, put me into C1. Yeah, it was two years after I had uh, taken my first A1 level. Yeah, so two years from A1 to C1. But uh, then I could say that, of course, that first C1 was not the C1 and C2 I was taking later. Because at these levels, and here we could also shift a bit to what it means to be advanced and to be learning at advanced levels. You can learn all the grammar of C1. There isn't much new at this level already from the point of view of grammar, as well as from the point of view of language structures and whatsoever. But it takes a lot of reading, listening, communication, culture, all the things that accompany language learning being not exactly language, but language plus culture, language plus mentality. So then you can continue forever. Yeah. And so these advanced levels in Italian for me continue by now. And there can be words that uh, I still have no idea what they mean. And uh, I get back to learning the definitions, uh, being curious about etymology. And uh, there is way to go always, as well as for native speakers of the language if uh, they are in contact with the language and culture, they would be able to express themselves uh, better on a higher level, let's say, as well as foreign students. I totally agree. I think that people who are getting to university and they have a prerequisite to show B2 level those who are passing IOTS, those who are passing B2 or FC or whatever the equivalent is, most of those students think that this is the highest level they can achieve. And therefore, they're forming and school or university is forming the idea that uh, by reaching the B2 level, you have everything you may ever need. But we know (laughs) that this is everything you may ever need 
for sure for the communication to be able to participate in a society to a uh, degree where you feel comfortable with whatever input information and you should be able to output the information as well. However, those people who are trying to get into humanities or working with the, I don't know, with texts, with, uh, I don't know, some specifics, they normally go more into uh, business English or academic English or professional English. And at this point, some students try to understand, like, but is it still B2 but a different register or is it C1 already? And can I take a C1 level if uh, I have B2 and, for example, I don't know, one of those that I mentioned, like and professional in, I don't know, international economics or in molecular biology or in like anything else. How do you feel from, from your perspective? First of all, as a native speaker of two other languages, I'm not able to participate in a professional discussion in the areas that I'm not familiar with, if that's enough. <laughs> As an explanation, yeah, I know the words, I know the structures, I uh, form sentences correctly in my native languages, and still I cannot lead a discussion on a topic that I'm not familiar with. In second languages, uh, more or less uh, the same is happening. If, uh, let's say, as structures, the passive voice is considered to be the key grammar unit of uh, technical documentation of uh, professional uh, language and uh, more stress is put on learning this structure for instance in uh, professional courses less so about forming conditional sentences or whatever other irrelevant topic in grammar might be anyway all the grammar topics are part of uh, c1 yeah of yeah, starting with B2, actually, and then uh, moving forward to the advanced level, C1, C2, and still um, a student, a learner of an advanced level as well as, okay, of an advanced level should be aware of all these structures and should be able to use them to apply them freely depending on the context. And then we come to the context of professional communication. The uh, situations of professional communication, if we talk about uh, a language for economics, for business, for whatever, requires the free choice of register and the free choice of relevant grammar structures that a learner should be aware of, should be able to use, and should be able to choose freely based on the need of professional communication, right? I still think that uh, the more uh, people are learning with their teachers, with their coaches, to follow this uh, Sapphire common reference levels, the more they understand uh, that having academic language or professional language language or business English are different 
skills in the end. I'm not saying that they are different, like all of them need reading, writing, speaking and listening, but what's inside is completely different sub-skills, let's say. Yeah, so for example, for uh, writing academic tests, texts, you would need completely different set of uh, texts of addressing of recipients of your audience than to business proposal or to business, I don't know, report. Or when it takes uh, the writing to general English test, when you need to write an essay or a narrative or a story, completely different thing. So it does require specific preparation. I remember when we were passing our our CA test. Do you remember that? We had it the very same day. There was a write an introduction to a novel. I'm sorry, but this is a very specific skill. And not necessarily if people are having professional English and they, I don't know, lead negotiations internationally, would do this specific task successfully. Of course, it requires preparation. If we talk about exam preparation, that's another topic yet. And if you know that uh, you are supposed to show mastering these skills in your exam, you would be getting ready, practicing, yeah, getting ready to this exact exam that requires this exact knowledge and these exact skills. That's, that's it. But uh, talking uh, more widely probably exam preparation makes the focus clearer to what the level as well as the professional aspect requires. Yeah, so then when you look at uh, exam requirements for this level, for this language, for this format, it kind of crystallizes what you need to be prepared for. I would say here, uh, following this experience of mine with uh, taking German C1, I was also curious about what uh, C2 is, if already C1 listening was kind of hard. But curiosity didn't kill the cat again this time. And uh, I um, downloaded a model test in C2. I was amazed to see that listening and writing were two in one. I just loved the format because unlike in C1, where there is gap filling and multiple choice and some other things uh, and the listening part, in C2... The task is listen to a fragment or an, a part of a lecture or a report, which is quite long, longer than uh, C1 uh, extracts for listening. Take notes and then write your piece of uh, you know, like production, not only mentioning what the speaker had said in the listening part, but being very precise about the key points of uh, what uh, was mentioned and developing this topic using your notes and then developing the topic with your personal opinion, which is a longer piece of writing based on a longer continuous listening with the skill of taking notes, that's closer to academic uh, skills that people need for university, as well as for 
professional communication that uh, presupposes attending seminars, webinars, workshops, uh, professional communication. And that's much more relevant to the world of today than multiple choice and gap feeling in C1. Yeah, I think that uh, the exam formats uh, are very different uh, or to some extent, let's say so are different in different languages. However, we still have this common European framework, right, for the levels, and uh, you can be sure that you have an advanced level, you can be a proficient user to a C1 level or C2 level, when you can, when your certificate or when your uh, test says that, yes, you're perfectly able to understand, you know, a white range of those texts which have longer scope which are demanding and uh, you're able to recognize all those core concepts and implicit meaning and therefore to use your understanding flexibly effectively to whatever purposes you might have whether they are social academic professional and so on it also requires a lot of logics, right? So you need to be able to produce a clear, well-structured, logical, coherent, cohesive piece of writing and speaking. Done? Yeah, okay. You're a proficient user to an advanced level. But how does it feel to have a this level of German? Do you remember I said after having taken B2, before getting a certificate that the peak of uh, mastery was at the moment of taking the exam, after which it just goes down rapidly. Now I can say the same. The peak of my proficiency was on the day of the exam, after which I felt relieved, relaxed, and started getting ready to a trip to Italy. And now that I'm in Italy... And that's another episode, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> On reversed, recultured, reshock. So being in Italy, of course, I don't practice my advanced, proficient, flexible German, right? Clearly enough. Uh, still, how does it feel? It feels like uh, if when I was at A1, A2 in German... I was worrying about not knowing which gender a certain noun is. At C1, I am more flexible, meaning that I still might not know which gender a certain noun is. Then what do I do? I find a synonym, which I know is feminine, for instance, and I can use it freely. That's the level of freedom that I could feel. Yeah, I don't know whether this noun is uh, masculine, neutral, or feminine, but I know a synonym this, that definitely comes from Latin with the ending tion. It's definitely feminine. I have no doubt here. I know how to decline this noun. I know how to decline with the exact, uh, correct, etc. form of uh, an article an adjective, etc. This requires the knowledge of which gender this noun is. And if I don't know another synonym, I use the synonym that I'm sure about, and then my speech is correct. 
but it needs um, awareness and uh, then allows uh, flexibility of speech. And uh, I feel much better when I can do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So as a advanced user, you are able to express whatever idea you have fluently by using a range of those items, expressions, units, without much obvious searching for a word. So you still can have that mechanism, okay, which phrase I'm more sure of, yeah, I'm more certain of, and then to use it, and still it doesn't feel like it takes forever to find which which phrase you're you're trying to formulate uh, and also if i don't know what it is if i can't find a word i can uh, quite fluently say oh i don't remember the word but the idea is blah blah, blah and then paraphrase also to use these um, german interjections like oh naya Okay, the things that Germans use without uh, loading the speech with much meaning and still sounding natural. Your first question was, what does it take? Yeah, so it takes a lot of listening and not being closed within your shell, yeah, but being open to how people speak, how they express when they are not sure. And not every native speaker finds a word quickly. It happens to all of us in any language. And so then to use the word like, mm, okay, how is that? How do you call that? By the way, how do you call that? And then a person will uh, come and help you with the right word. And you then can recognize and say, oh, yeah, that's what I mean. Or, no, that's not what I mean. Anyway, our passive knowledge of the language is always uh, better than active use of uh, vocabulary that we might need. As well, when you say that uh, at advanced levels, a learner can uh, talk about any topic fluently. Here, if we come back to the idea that, uh, you remember, I skipped A2, and now I cannot talk fluently about the topics like how you call all the objects uh, in the kitchen. I don't know. Each utensil, how is it called and which gender it is? No, but I can fluently say, well, I need this thing to do this. Then I prefer to use the function. By the way, we went to a Chinese shop yesterday to buy some of the household uh, things that we didn't care to take with us. And then, okay, how do you call this thing? No idea. But a Chinese lady who owns the shop doesn't know that either in Italian. So you just say, do you have this thing to like hook a key on? And she says, yes, here it is. The function is much more uh, obvious for both speakers. And appropriate for communication target, <laughs> you know, for, for, for the goal, why you are asking. Absolutely. I need a thing that I use to do this. Okay. Any user of a language would understand this better than if you say the name of an object that another person might not know, just like you might not know it either. What's, what's this picking for, for the German format? What kind of, um, I don't know, fluency, interaction? Uh, what, what, what are the tasks? What is being tested? 
Oh, that's interesting. In this format of the exam, TELC uh, C1 presupposes three parts of a speaking exam. The first one gives you 20 minutes of preparation to talk about uh, a topic. You get a piece of paper with two topics to choose from and then develop your ideas on this topic. It should be a structured uh, speaking later. So you're supposed to take notes. Uh, there should be no written uh, text, but just uh, items like, okay, I'm going to talk about this, 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 and this. You need to talk for three minutes, a monologue, based on what you've uh, drafted, yeah? So with an introduction, the main body and the conclusion. Then based on this monologue, another person who is your partner in a speaking exam takes notes and summarizes what you've said and is the second part of the speaking exam. You're also going to listen to a partner, take notes and then summarize in no more than one minute what the person uh, said in their speech. After which, the third part of the exam is uh, discussing usually a quotation that uh, an examiner puts on the table for you. You have uh, a couple of seconds to read the quotation, and then you need to lead a discussion that lasts for six minutes. You're just talking, discussing whether you agree or disagree with the quotation, whether you agree or disagree with each other, and uh, you need to use all the necessary phrases, uh, introductory phrases, uh, correct uh, interruptions, as well as examples, as well as uh, maybe summarizing when you feel the time is up, and uh, yeah, that's a live discussion. So yeah, so you have the interaction part, you're making the remarks to the other's speech, and you try to relate to what was said, or you just summarize it without any kind of opinion. In the second part, uh, you aren't supposed to say your personal opinion, you just summarize, while in the third part, it's interaction in the pure form. Both of you or three of you, depends on how many people take the exam, discuss the topic that is proposed, like uh, spontaneously, here you don't have any time to prepare. It's a spontaneous discussion in which uh, some people, that's also a thing uh, about how people are ready to take exams. Funny enough, some people get blocked if they agree with another speaker and uh, still there needs to be a lively discussion so they feel there should be some disagreement and being of the same opinion as the first partner who started speaking, people get blocked very often. Like, for me, it's so natural to say just anything. I might agree and add, or I might agree, but say that I disagree, which I did in this exam, by the way. I felt it would be boring just to continue. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. I think so too. Like, it doesn't lead to anything. But who cares what I really think? I know what I think, but in a discussion to show that I can both agree and disagree and lead a discussion, it's okay if what I say is not exactly what I think about this quotation. Who 
cares. But what the examiners care about, and I know that, is to hear that you know how to lead a discussion, how to use all the uh, necessary uh, communication uh, phrases, and that's it. Mm-hmm. So what you're saying, the uh, format of the first topic of the first part, right, is very similar to the IOTS exam speaking part three, I think, when you're when you need to produce a very well structured, academic, coherent, almost like a say style uh, monologue, right? So and this is very similar at this point. Summarizing is a very good task. I think I already know who I can give this task a little bit more and trying to summarize as a... That actually develops a lot of listening and active listening and summarizing and trying to follow the structure. But also I think that um, that can teach, I mean, like not for the exam, but for the uh, practice uh, during the classes, just to teach to be responsible to structure your speech so that others would be able to summarize it. I think there is a, some kind of a beauty of putting this format to the exam because, I don't know, this might be the most scary part, like, I don't know what they're going to summarize, or I don't know what they're going to say, what am I supposed to summarize? When there is some kind of responsibility, not only to give, but also to take, I think that that teaches a lot uh, to the communication. And that shows respect to the other participants, of course, uh, when uh, the very simple structure of such a monologue is, uh, I'm going to talk about the topic of blah, blah, blah. In my talk, I'm going to mention the aspects of blah, 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 three points. And then you continue giving examples or whatever your speaking strategy is, but uh, your partner is ready to summarize after your first, uh, after your introduction. Well, if you know what to say, but uh, I mean, like, uh, maybe some other people are not prepared to the exam and don't know that. So that would be a nightmare and maybe something like people would be scared of, you know, what am I going to summarize if they are not prepared? You mean the uh, person who is summarizing together with someone who's not prepared for the speaking yeah. part themselves? Ah, okay, yeah, that's a disaster. <laughs> anyway, anyway, uh, you could learn a strategy how to behave in such a situation, yeah? So it's also managing stress of the exam. Everything could happen. Another partner could be discouraged by something, could not have had a good night's sleep, whatever could happen. And uh, if you are well prepared, you have a strategy how to deal with this stress, with another person's stress for you, because you need to produce uh, some kind of uh, yeah, speaking pattern. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting format. But in the end, we are all communicating in our real life and uh, whatever stress uh, there is, whatever happens, I don't know, those people who are going live, who are making podcasts, who are going on radio, they are supposed to be able to produce the spontaneous, coherent, logical and uh, responsible pieces of text, pieces of uh, their speech. So I think this is an, an interesting format that prepares for it for those social communications. 
I would add here that our experience of podcasting helped a lot in uh, producing both a monologue and a discussion and uh, summarizing because uh, both of us, uh, when we go podcasting, we are ready to to listen to each other, to summarize in case of need, uh, to uh, produce uh, fluent, flexible uh, speech on a given topic, you know, to agree or disagree, to structure. But also to live and learn. Whichever exam, whichever level, there, there are the opportunities to, to learn your strategies, to get prepared, to know what to expect to perform to your best, and to enjoy your learning and passing the exams. Live and learn. Live and learn. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you share live and learn philosophy, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow us on all the major social media, comment, and spread the word about this podcast so that more people could get their weekly portion of growth mindset content. Live and learn!